Welcome into Inside LAFC. I am Max. Very special pod. They're always very special. Do I say that all the time? A very special pod today as we will be joined by Paul Tenorio of The Athletic, who was there closely following the MLS-MLSPA labor negotiations and the good news. It's been ratified. Their Players Association approved a new collective bargaining agreement. There will be no work stoppage. So we look forward to the season kicking off here. Now, uh, Don Garber just addressed the media and the, the among many items, the one that's worth mentioning here is that the kickoff of the season, which was listed at April the 3rd, is now pushed to April the 17th. So mark your calendars. By the way, I recorded the interview with Paul prior to the Don Garber address, and I do mention a couple times during the season starts April 3rd. So disregard that. It will be April the 17th. It's a couple more weeks away from the league, which to me means they're going to have to compact some of the schedule a little better. But the good news is it gets it closer to the date, which we don't know, where people will hopefully be vaccinated and we'll get the clear to return to stadium. Even now there's promising uh, developments in New York uh, where the governor Cuomo there saying that small numbers of fans can return to venues within New York. Now, as it applies to Major League Soccer, you got to remember one of those clubs plays in New Jersey. So we await any news from there and we'll see what happens in California. We wait with bated breath. So we will get into the details of the collective bargaining agreement. And uh, again, with Paul and Sam Stayskull and Felipe Cardenas at The Athletic, it's a great publication for you to follow. It has a great um, American soccer platform with the league and the U.S. national team. But they followed all the developments uh, and it's a drawn out process and it has to be exhausting for all parties involved. And he's been able to give us all the details so we can consume it a little more easily and you get the gist of it. No work stoppage. That's the important news. Major League Soccer and MLSPA, I, I take my hat off to all of them. There's been some dark days for the players in the infancy of this league, where it's certainly those at the bottom rung of the pay scale, where they made really you know, unlivable salaries. That's improved over the years to where it's getting respectable. There's still a long way to go, and I hope the that bottom part gets lifted up. That's personal to me. I would also say from the owner's perspective, uh, this is a league that I have made a profession in since the beginning. And I cannot appreciate enough uh, what they have done um, with regards to building a league and creating jobs for players, for executives, for referees, for broadcasters too. So when they are able to muscle through and make this, uh, it certainly affects me and my life. So I appreciate all that. I know there's a lot of work to be done to give the players a bigger piece of the pie. I hope that day comes. But I do also feel strongly that the the owners and the league are positioning this, this sport, this league, which was at times, you know, was if you go back to the late 90s and early 2000s was hanging over a precipice, didn't have enough investment, didn't have enough owners. And now we have a lot of individual owners and we're heading towards 30 clubs. And that's all good news. But we'll get into that more with Paul here in the next couple minutes. But now heading into the 26th year, it's good to see there that they've and they've never had a work stoppage and there's been work stoppages in other sports. So I think the league could be very proud of that. 
and hats off to all those to getting us to this point where we can get excited, albeit a little bit later, for games on April the 17th. Some news to pass on to you as it applies to our club, LAFC's academy players, Eric Duenas, Christian Torres, and Antoni Leone. Antonio, Tony Leone, it says Antonio, we call him Tony Leone, have made the final roster for the Mexico under 17. They will be training until February the 11th at the Centro Alto de Rendimiento in Mexico. This is fantastic for them as they get to be exposed to new coaching, new ideas, and to me, more importantly, get to practice with the best under 17 players in all of Mexico. For fans of the American game, these are kids that were born in the United States, and the door is still open for them to represent the U.S. in the future. I'm thrilled for all three of them because it gives them options. Not many players have those options. So good for them, and they'll get to see it at an early age. And these kids are, you know, we're not going to call them kids anymore. They're, they're growing up having life experiences, which can only help them moving forward. So best of luck in that for those three guys, and congratulations to the LAFC Academy. It's great for them, perception-wise, to show what a great job they are doing. Next thing I wanted to bring up, and he this was not made official unless I missed it, uh, he left a note on Instagram, Dan Yakovich, thanking everyone, firstly thanking the fans and the 3252, uh, him and his family. Remember, he has a, a son now. Thank you for the memories. Uh, he is appearing to be calling it a day, or at least his days with LAFC. I just want to give a debt of gratitude to Dan Yakovich. Always put in a tough spot. I know more so with the trade of Walker Zimmerman. To me, a trade that LAFC will reap the benefits moving forward. Remember, with regards to this league and how our club is forming it, yes, they want to win in the present, but you want to position yourself to win long-term, year in, year out. And I strongly believe that Walker Zimmerman trade will help do that because it was an offer truly they could not refuse. Some of that Walker Zimmerman money, I think, was used for the Corey Baird move, and there's still plenty to work with. And... The reason I bring that up is Dan Yakovich was thrust into that situation and did a really nice job plugging holes, working hard, underrated athlete, never complained. Whether he was starting or off the bench, I mean, that's a, a coach's dream. And I think Bob Bradley would certainly echo and even go further than I am with regards to the role that Dan Yakovich did. But it wasn't just with LAFC. He, uh, he, he was born in the Balkans, actually his first club was with Red Star Belgrade in Serbia. Then he made his way to the United States, played in Major League Soccer, played in the lower divisions, never complained, and was just a really good professional. 41 caps for Canada. So, Dan, if you do have managed to see this, maybe you're driving or hear this, driving around, thank you for all that you've done. You're a really important player for this club and this league. Last thing I wanted to touch on, two more things. I wanted to say... Hello to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast guys. I was on with them last night, Jonathan, Christian, and Chris, and they made me feel like a million dollars saying so many wonderful things, things I really didn't deserve, quite frankly. But uh, you know, I appreciate that. And to tell your own story is, it's just there, it's cathartic, therapeutic to be able to share that and have guys listen with such keen interest. So thank you, fellas. And just to remind, they do a great job, not just with the podcast, but with the rollout, with the production, with the graphics, with the editing. It's a real first-class job, as all our podcasts are. I'm really proud of our podcast network with the club that are continuing to grow. It's a thankless job sometimes. I get it, guys, but keep plugging away. Uh, people are taking notice. So thanks for that. 
And the final thing was uh, the victory by Tigres over Palmeiras in the FIFA Club World Cup. Tigres become the first CONCACAF team to reach a Club World Cup final. I'm recording this on Wednesday. That game will be at 10 a.m. Pacific time, I believe on FS2, if not FS1, and also Fox Deportes, where you get to listen to Rodolfo Landeros and John Laguna and Mariano Trujillo. They're great. This is a wonderful achievement for us, all of us, CONCACAF. In the history of the Club World Cup, which in its current um in its current format was in 2005 where it's been an annual tournament held in either Japan or the Middle East in its current format, European teams make the final every year. They've won the last seven South American teams usually are there with them. There have been a couple of occasions with African teams to make it. And there's been a couple of occasions where Asian teams have made it. No CONCACAF team has ever made it. And as you can imagine, perception wise, that doesn't bode well because people don't take CONCACAF seriously. So even though we aren't, fans of Tigres, we can share in their achievement because now I'll tell you who's taking, I'll tell you who's taking CONCACAF pretty seriously right now. Palmeiras heading home after they're playing the third place game, but they're heading home with their tail between their legs and they have a lot of explaining to do. And now people down in Brazil will say, well, maybe this Tigres team is, maybe this CONCACAF is pretty good. And if for some reason Tigres beat Bayern, which I don't think they will, you could say, it's not an accurate, inaccurate statement that LAFC is the second best club in the world because they lost to Tigres in the CONCACAF Champions League narrowly. I know we relive that game over and over again, and it's frustrating. But what an achievement for our club to get that close. And now the team that beat them are this close to being called, without question, the best club in the world. To win the Club World Cup, you earned it because you went through the entire field, the entire field on the planet Earth to make it there. So I'll be pulling for Tigres. You don't have to, but whatever happens and, and win or lose, they've done something remarkable and it's good for them. It's good for Liga MX. It's good for CONCACAF. It's good for MLS. It's good for LAFC. So I'll be cheering for them. I know maybe it was Club America or someone to be a little harder or Chivas. <laughs> Just because they don't need it all. But it's Tigres who are a club that has done it the right way and Tuca Ferretti is a wonderful coach and they just poured so much praise on LAFC for what they did. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the game we had against America. It was a, a, a sporting event and he is very respectful for what LAFC and Bob Bradley were able to do. So a lot happening, more things are happening with what has occurred this past week. And we're going to dig into it a little bit with our special guest, Paul Tenorio of the athletic that is coming up next here on inside LAFC. Please rate review and subscribe. We'll be here all year. We are back here on Inside LAFC. It is uh, my pleasure to welcome to the program for a second time, and that's rarefied air, I got to say. Paul Tenorio, national soccer writer for The Athletic, also co-host of the Allocation Order podcast with Sam Stayskull. They've been essential to follow during these CBA negotiations. And yes, the uh, Major League Soccer and the MLSPA avoided their first work stoppage in history by ratifying the CBA and approved by the players. So, Paul, as I, I bring you in, I, I, I want to say thank you because I know following these negotiations has got to be meticulous and difficult at times, and we benefit at the end. So what has it been like the last few weeks having to follow this with a fine-tooth comb? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because, like, sometimes I say I'm sick of it and I'm sick of it, 
and other times, you know, Sam will say, you know, actually it's, it's kind of fun to, to dive into it. Um, I, I think it, there are aspects of it that are fun. Maybe the third time covering it in 12 months, it's a little <laughs> bit less fun. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been interesting because it brought of people you're talking to. Um, so in my case, you know, I talked to a lot of labor lawyers with experience um, you know, both in, um, you know, labor law that's outside of professional sports, that's there's unions that you know, just talk to me about collective bargaining. And, you know, I speak to, to people who have experience in sports. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I haven't made a lot of fans at the league office over the, the last few weeks with my coverage, but that's okay. You know, typically uh, they're, they're less likely to, to like me than, than other reporters. So it, it's been okay. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to eventually now, I think after today, maybe write a little bit more about the actual soccer that's going on around the country. Well, it's fascinating because every sport shares these negotiations and, you know, they all have, you know, whether it's the NBA or the NFL and major league baseball, they, they have to carve out a collective bargaining agreement and it gets sticky at times, but it's, it really is fascinating. We appreciate the work you guys do because you provide it in a nice uh, a nice rolled out product where we get all the details without seeing how the sausages are made, so to speak. But um, it's, and we do appreciate, cause I, we, we do know you have to, you know, you have to call it as it is and it gets, you know, it, it, it certainly puts pressure on you with regards to the league and the players association for that matter, as they hash these things out. So I got to ask you, how close do you think they were to a work stoppage? You know, I was pretty convinced that the players were going to hold their ground. I mean, I spoke to a few players who said that was the message on, on calls is that they weren't going to back down. They weren't going to add that second year. And I, I, in, you know, I, I joke now that I, I feel silly having bought in that, that, that we were close to a stoppage because realistically, I think we were always headed to this resolution, which is the league getting what it wanted. Um, and the reason is because the union has no leverage. I mean, their only leverage is, to withhold their um, their labor. And it's very difficult for them to go through a work stoppage when so many of these players are living, you know, month to month um, on salaries that aren't, you know, these aren't baseball and NBA and NFL salaries. These aren't guys with millions of dollars in the bank. And, um, you know, some of these guys, they paycheck and they pay their mortgage and they've got kids um, that they've got to put in daycare and all these other expenses and they need those paychecks. You know, they're making 80K a year. So, um, it's very difficult for them. You know, we knew going in that the players wanted to keep their 2021 salary, right? They didn't want to do another big cut. So a work stoppage you think is probably going to last a month, two months, three months. You know, you're talking about eight, 8%, 16% or more of a pay of your pay over the course of a year being gone. Um, and I just think ultimately that, that outweighed any desire from a segment of the player base to, to hold firm and, and, um, and make the owners lock them out. I thought it was close a couple weeks ago, but ultimately I, I, it was too difficult to get the majority of 700 players on board. We'll talk about some of the points you brought up here and uh, obviously the salary for 21. And you know, I was reading something from Jeff Carlisle and it seemed like the guys on the lower end of the pay scale, they did okay. Is that safe to say? Obviously the, the by and large of uh, the players, uh, the, the, the new salary cap 
doesn't raise, but certainly it doesn't raise in the first few years. It does grow after the duration of the deal going into 2027. How did you see this, the different levels of the scale? Well, I, I think certainly you have to look at it as, as you know, we talk about um, pay cuts or not taking pay cuts. Like the players took pay cuts. Um, and the way that they took pay cuts were, were framed differently than just a 5% slash. But what, what happened was the cuts came in the overall salary cap. And, you know, when teams have less money, then players get less money. Um in their salaries or when they negotiate their contracts. So, you know, when you look at, for example, minimum salaries over the next couple of years, um, they're going to be less than they would have been under the original CPA. So for example, next year, the minimum salary in MLS will be 84,000. Um, under the June CBA, it would have been 85,444. Um, the reserve minimum is going to be 65,5. Under the previous CBA, it would have been 67,3. So, those those types of losses across the board you know the the salary budget next year is going to be 4.9 million it would have been 5.2 million so you you start to see where those differences are and obviously that adds up as you go across the life of the cba it's not a direct pay cut but it, it certainly is going to affect contract negotiations and team planning and how gms put their rosters together and you hope that by the time we get to the tv deal in 2023 that there's enough revenue that comes in, that they get a good enough media deal, um, that that maybe that revenue share kicks in and a couple million more gets thrown into the pot. But you know, there's no guarantee that that media rights deal is going to be a a, a a doozy, that it's going to be a game changer. And even if you get a significant boost over the 90 million per year that MLS has now from its TV partners, well, the last time they signed that deal, there were 20 teams in the league. The next time they sign the deal, they're going to be 30. So you got to think about the per team math. It mm -hmm. gets a lot harder. It gets a lot harder. So you, you want that number to be way, way through the roof in order for there to be real gains for every team. So those are the big two dates coming up on the, the MLS calendar as it applies to here in 2023. So at the end of next season, they will have a new media deal. And we don't know what it's going to look like. I'm, I'm optimistic that there's there's more folks out there. We know it's with ESPN, Univision, and Fox. You know, CBS is now in the soccer business. Turner was. There was maybe stuff like Amazon. I don't know. But that's probably the big date that's coming up that you hope would get a bigger contract for Major League Soccer. But as you said, nothing's guaranteed. And then the other date that you brought up is the extension where it goes through 2027 and this is where the owners, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk about it, but this is where the owners wanted to extend it because not only you get the World Cup in 2026, we know that's going to be a windfall of interest and money and investment. And then they get it to 2027. So they get like a year, right? So they get a year to see how that translates. And that was the big, I mean, that was the big caveat, certainly for the owners. Yeah, I mean, think about the importance of that 2026 World Cup for the sport. You know, it's going to be, in, in a lot of people's minds, a springboard for popularity because people are going to go to these World Cup games and they're going to see the best in the world compete and they're going to get sucked into the atmosphere, just like we all do, right? You, if you go watch an LAFC game, you're going to want to go back, right? Because why? Maybe, maybe it's because you really love watching Carlos Vela, but it's probably because you see, you know, the – 
you know, the, the supporter section jumping back and forth and back and forth and singing their songs. And you don't get that anywhere else in professional sports in the U.S. That atmosphere is what you get at soccer games, right? That's what MLS's selling point is. So the more people that start to see and experience that soccer environment, are they're going to want to come back. And the place that they can come back is MLS. So when we talk about that World Cup, there's two aspects to it that are important. The first is MLS is going to want to have its league on the incline, going up significantly going into that World Cup, right? They want to start to give people reasons to tune in prior to the World Cup to say, okay, we're field. We're seeing that now, right? We've seen it with player signings. We've seen it with the young money, the under 22 initiative that, that's being brought in this year. They're going to want to spend more money to make the product better. Then two, coming out of the World Cup, they're going to want to figure out how do we capture this momentum? What do we do to keep people coming to MLMs? And heck, what do we do maybe to grab some players who experienced playing in the United States and who maybe are tempted to come and play in MLS, who, who go to sport in Kansas City's training facility or LAFC Stadium or you know any of the things that MLS has built up and say, hey, somewhere I want to be. Well, what's happened now is under the initial CBA, the players were going to have a say in how that money was spent going into the World Cup because there would have been a negotiation and you talk about things like the salary cap and discretionary money and all of those things. Now it's pushed till more than a year after the world cup ends. So if the owners decide we're going to spend more money going into the world cup, or we're going to spend more money coming out of the world cup, they don't have to negotiate with players over how that money is, is, is spent. They can just say, Hey, boom, now we have a fourth and a fifth DP or boom, you know, we have a new TAM that's only available for players between 1.5 million and 2 million. Or boom, we have an uh, uh, under 24 international players initiative. They can create any of these pots of money that they often already create, and they don't have to negotiate it with the players. And that's significant. That's a significant amount of leverage because truly we believe it will be a significant amount of money that's generated around this tournament. And it's just going to take longer now for the players to try to pull their fair share out of it. And obviously you mentioned momentum that first year after the World Cup is historically where the, where things are maintained, where people are engaged in the sport, are interested. And then after that, it dips a bit. This is maybe just a gut feeling question. Do you, I think it will, I think this is the moment. I hope it's the moment in 2026 that afterwards we get an audience and we engage it. Do you think after 2027, there will be a different landscape? here in uh, U.S. soccer, as closely as you cover it, where there will be uh, there will be more on the table for everyone, not just the owners. Yeah, I mean, we're watching it happen right now. I mean, look at what's going on for American soccer right now. Look at the Champions League, the number of American players who are contributing, and already how that's impacting the transfer market for Americans in Major League Soccer, or and Canadians for that matter, right? The success of Alfonso Davies leads to people looking at, at Canadian academies. The success of Weston McKenney who came out of Dallas and is now a big time starter and contribute for Juventus, that matters. That, that makes people look and say, we can trust players out of FC Dallas. Like they have Wes McKinney, Chris Richards at Bayern Munich, Reggie Cannon's done well, Bo Vista. That's why Brian Reynolds price is what it is. You know, Chris Richards went for 1.25 million. Brian Reynolds went for eight. There's a reason why that price went up. It's because there's proof of concept. So we're seeing these, these moments, these, these game changing moments happen on both sides of the ocean right now. And we have to remember, you know, I remember having a conversation of like, oh, must I, I'm older than I like to acknowledge. It must be now like six or seven years ago with Bruce Arena 
who's been around forever. So it's like, it could have been any time in the last two decades. And I remember I was talking to him about the Academy, which I covered extensively when it came about the development Academy, when I was at the Washington post back in 2007, 2008. And this, I was kind of writing a retrospective of those first articles I did. And Bruce said to me, you know, you guys want things to happen so fast. You have to be patient, give it time. You know, it's going to take time for these generations of players to be raised. And right now we're starting to see players like Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, who is 11 years old and 12 years old, who spend six, seven years, and then they become a finished product. You know, now we're going through that second generation of players. So we're going to start to see that more. And so, yeah, I anticipate that there is the potential, real potential for, for MLS to redefine itself going into and coming out of that world cup and the way to do it is money right you have to invest more in the product you put on the field significantly more and it's been this big chicken and the egg it's you know they want to invest more but they need more to get more tv you need a better audience to get a better audience you need a better product to get a better product you spend more money so what comes first i wouldn't be shocked to see a shorter tv deal this this next one coming up that maybe covers 23 through the 26 season, four seasons instead of eight as we've had and gives them a chance to renegotiate that deal coming out of the world cup. Again, that renegotiation would happen a year before the league has to deal with the players. So, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting aspects here. All of it is looking at what we're talking about. Where is this going? What is the potential? And especially when you think about what the U S team could do in 2026, when you, when these kids that we're talking about now, are in their prime. When Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney and Josh Sargent, Serginio Dest, uh, Gio Reyna, when these guys are 26, 27, 28 years old with five years, six years of experience. I mean, that's what gets you excited. There's a lot there on the table and, and you go through that list of players and it is extensive and it keeps on growing. I know we have all these players going on these loan deals now to Europe. Uh, you know, even He's not American, but you know, even Brian Rodriguez, but we had these these guys go there through MLS telling me that the MLS players are now in the crosshairs of these European clubs where they will not only, I mean, obviously it's a loan deal where it's, it's not a uh, uh, economic hit so much, but it's also, uh, look, they're putting these investing in these players to, to give them a, a push over the edge, something that they can lift them to possibly get to the premier league or the Spanish first division but it's i mean i've never seen anything like it uh paul and by the way i didn't know you were that old 2008 working in in dc i thought i thought you were in your 20s young and still <laughs> going after it I feel like i'm in, i don't feel like i'm in my 20s if i'm being honest <laughs> well I, I can't bring up age because i got you all licked by a long <laughs> shot but uh, i i want to just i'm going a little bit out of order but i know because the commissioner he mentioned the losses for the year and it was, it was, he said about a billion dollars and we know what we know about MLS and there are, it's hard to imagine when you have so much emphasis at the gate, what the owners lost. And these are owners and they, they're owners for a reason. They have, they're, they're wealthy and there's a lot of them, but how do you think from their perspective a bit, knowing what they went through, how did that affect this CBA? Yeah, I mean, it's the reason why we were back at the table again, right? They were able to trigger force majeure, which they put into the CBA last summer. Um, and, and the goal was to, to save as much money as they could save. And I know, you know, the, the idea 
they say, oh, we're not, there's no pay cuts, so we're not really saving that much money. But again, as we talked about, there is a lot of money there on the back end of the CBA that they can now control. That, that's significant. And control when, you know, is as important as cash sometimes. Um, and so, look, these owners are, many of them, some of the richest people in the country, some of them, some of the richest people in the world. They are very much in investment mode still with Major League Soccer. Losing money is not new to them when it comes to MLS. Losing as much as they have in the pandemic certainly is. So they did need some relief. They needed to find ways to curb those losses, to stop them, to, to ease um, at least some of those losses. And um, in this case, they did that. They did that by dropping salary cap over a number of years, they've, they've, and they've locked in costs. So they know exactly how much they're going to have to spend in those years, 25 and 26 and 27. And that's really important because you know now that the next CBA negotiation isn't going to double your cost, right? You, you know exactly what you have to spend and anything else you want to spend, you get to decide. That's really critical for these owners. And that's why it was so important to, to lock those costs in by extending the CBA. And, and I would say, going back to the note, you mentioned these short-term loans, you mentioned Brian Rodriguez, you know, LAFC, we talk about developmental clubs all the time. There are so many different models of that. You know, there's FC Dallas that's homegrown focus. And hey, we already see some homegrowns early on coming through with LAD. But there is a proof of concept that's going to start happening now with buying players from South America, having them succeed here and selling them on. We're still in the process of creating that pipeline. We, we have the Miguel Almirones, Carlos Guerrezo from FC Dallas was sold to a Bundesliga club. You want to see more of those. And I think LAFC is very focused on, okay, where can we spend our money on these younger South American players with an idea to sell them? That's been complicated by COVID. That's tough on LAFC because it's thrown their timing off on this roster build. But, you know, that's, that's a big part of the plan for many MLS owners who are saying, you know, there are multiple ways to develop and sell. It's not just about homegrowns. And uh, FC Cincinnati just dropping a reported $13 million for Brenner. Uh, in Brazil. And, and I would say it, it's important to, to to get back your investment. But if you have a guy like I would use Diego Rossi as an example, who's been here since the beginning and been so productive, I think you could be a little flexible about getting the return because he was so good here. I mean, he he played for you there. And obviously, COVID has complicated things. I hope he does. I, th- I think he's a great player. And in normal circumstances, I, who knows if there's a big offer for him, there should be. But uh it's, very, it's fascinating to watch. And I just want to reiterate, we're here with Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. You have really been working on your craft. It's amazing to hear you talk about these things because it's you can see all that information is coming out. And it's wonderful for you to share it for our LAFC audience. I want to pivot quickly to ML, the Players Association and what was important for them. And according to your article with Sam Stayskull, and I highly encourage all of you to read it on The Athletic. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic and you are a fan of the sport, you absolutely have to. And thanks to Paul and Sam and Felipe Cardenas, they have such a great MLS and U.S. soccer base. Uh, it was important to get the salaries in place for 2021, which they did. That was, from what you said, was important. Bob Foose was asked about, he's the MLSPA executive. He says the Players Association stronger than ever. We shall see. It's always, you mentioned leverage. That always certainly plays in part of the owners and the league there. But when we, when you look at what happened, I'm just going, I guess, devil's advocate again. If I was a player in MLS and it was my salary in 2021, I, I, I just me, I wouldn't be thinking as much of 2027. It's very selfish, but I go, 
okay, me and my family, I'd want 2021, the salaries, who knows where I'll be in a couple of years. So you look at why that was important. And I guess the vision to see the duration of the CBA and why they were, they, I, they relinquished a little bit on the back end. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult to get a player pool where the majority of players are not going to be here in 2026 and 2027 to care about what it means for the union to give up 26 and 27 as an extension to the CBA. This is, this is the challenge of any, any union of, of professional athletes because the lifespan of pro athletes is very short. And in soccer, the, 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 the people who stay in one country with one club for many, many years is, is a very small pool of players. And so it's, it's incredibly difficult to get consensus and to get people to, to look that far down the road and say, yeah, I need to sacrifice so that somebody else maybe benefits in six years. That, that, you know, and, and when you double that down with the lack of leverage that exists for the players, the fact that the owners could kick their feet up and let a, let a work stoppage go three, four months, and that's saving them money while it's costing the players money, how, how do you convince somebody to do it when you can't guarantee them that choosing to lose that money might end you right back in the place you would have been if you just agreed to the deal you know, when the players did it? It's, it was a very difficult task for the union to, to really truly convince the other side of the negotiating table that they were willing to, to, to sit through a lockout. It, it's even harder to be somebody on the negotiating committee in the union and go back to your locker room and explain what these talks are, explain what the costs are and, and tell these players, Hey, we need you to take a pay cut so that down the road, you know, some, some players you've never met some kid in your Academy is going to, is going to have a little bit more leverage in negotiations. So, yeah, I mean, they, they were stuck in an impossible place. Um, where you're, you're asking someone to weigh their real life, right? Their real life against um, the long-term benefits of an organization of which they're part now, but probably won't be a part of down the line. Anything with the other issue or other items where the players did well? I, again, we know that it was about the leverage, but things that you saw that, that the players would be happy, that Bob Foose would be happy they could walk away with this? I mean, anything that they could get, I think they looked at as a bonus, you know, because they weren't negotiating with much, man. They were sitting at the table with, you know, uh, a pair of sevens and they were hoping to get what they could get, you know, out of the pot. Right. And, and you're just, you're just praying. And, and so, yeah, it's nice to get an extra year of free agency from 24 years old and five years experience, 24 and four beginning in 2026. Sure. That's nice to get squeeze a little bit more money out of the increase in the salary cap from 26 into 27 or 25 into 26. Yeah, that's nice. Um, is it going to match what the owners got? No, it, it wasn't. Um, but you know, you, at that point, you're just trying to pull what you can pull. The fact that the, the bonuses aren't, are going to slide and you're not going to see decreases in bonuses. You know, that's important to the players. What I, I, I was surprised I didn't see some advancement in charter flights as an example. There was progress that was made last February. You know, there are now mandatory, an, an increased number of mandatory charter flights. 
but I thought, okay, maybe that would have been somewhere where they could have pushed for or advocated for more change. Um, but overall, I think the, the union sitting back and saying, you know, shoot, we were playing defense. We were trying to get everything we could get out of this. Our, their most important priority was no pay cuts in 2021. And, and then they made little gains elsewhere and, and you kind of suck it up and, and you say we did the best we could and, and you move on. Come a long way in these uh, these negotiations from the beginning of this league. It's it's really fascinating to see how these work out. And thanks to guys like Paul and Stamp Stacekull who follow follow it so intimately and are able to give us uh, the cliff notes from a weeks of discussions. So we now have the season. It is that we the training camps are still scheduled, we, uh, potentially subject to change. February twenty second, where they can report, and then the season April third and fourth. How do you think that timeline works now that everyone is coming back to work? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see the the timeline change a little bit here in the next you know week or so. I could see it getting pushed back a week, um, you know, maybe even two weeks, just because things got tabled. For sure. During these negotiations, you know, planning. I mean, it's, there's a lot of money that goes into preseason, hotel reservations, flights, all those things. Um, they still have to, I think, finish the schedule, um, <laughs> which takes some time and some some um, juggling. Um, but I, I can tell you that, you know, while Sam and I were reporting this out, you get so many calls from coaches and players and GMs. And at the base of it, everyone wants to play. You know, they want to get back out there. They want to be able to train again now, especially, you know, they're eager for preseason to start for games to start. Um, and so I, I do think that there is a level of excitement certainly that exists tempered maybe in the player pool by those who felt like they could have gotten more or were willing to, to, to sit out if they had to, 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 um, to gain more. But, you know, overall, I think we, you know, there's no use in kind of grumbling about it at this point, it's agreed. This is the way it is. And, and so now you start to look forward to what the season looks like. And I think also we'll see a lot of player signings happen, you know, because the window is open now for MLS. MLS isn't worried about teams making announcements in the middle of negotiations anymore. Poor FC Cincinnati. They had like the tweet that, you know, was previewing this big player announcement. Then they had to wait through the weekend until the negotiation was done before they could reveal the Brenner. Um, but, you know, and I think that'll build some excitement too. So, um, you know, everyone's getting ready. I wouldn't be surprised to see, something that is a little bit more regionalized in the early months of the season um, as we still deal with COVID and the realities that, that the, the leagues and the teams and the general public face. Um, but hopefully at some point in the summer, early fall, something approaching normalcy starts to happen again. I, 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 I want to knock on wood. I want to say, you know, I don't want to get too out in front of it, but you know, that's certainly the hope. And we can all be fans again and, and, and move forward. And you're a fan, Paul. I think that's something we have to remind people because you, you you have to get involved in these kind of stories. But as a fan, what are you looking forward to? And by the way, the Cincinnati announcement obviously lost a lot, a little bit luster, but not too much. That was pretty amazing to see a club that has struggled so much go out and invest in a world-class striker like Brenner. We don't know a lot about him, but he scored goals down there. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's going to be cool to see their next transition and how they try to become at least a playoff team in major league soccer. But as a fan, Paul, what are you looking forward to now in this 2021 season? Anything in particular? Yeah. I mean, I really am looking forward to those, those continued trends that we're talking about, you know, what players do we see break out in the league this year? What young players are the next Brian Reynolds, the next Brendan Aronson, 
Um, you know, are we going to see a homegrown step up into those bigger roles? That's, that's really key for me. And, and then, you know, from my perspective, this year is going to be totally different than last year was for me because last year there were four national team games total for the entire year. And this year we should have a whole set of World Cup qualifiers starting in September, plus Nations League in June, plus the Gold Cup in the summer, plus potentially the Olympics. So I am really excited to see the U.S. national team play meaningful games with the full squad together. I think that is the number one thing I'm most excited for in 2021 soccer is to see this U.S. US team and whether or not they can live up to the hype of, of the individual accomplishments of, of this young core. I am equally excited about that, Paul. And I will tell you this, someone who's been in this, this business for a quarter of a century, this is a great moment for our gathered media and folks like you and me, we're going to see new fans into this sport, and it's going to be pretty exciting as we head towards the World Cup in 2022. So I look forward to sharing that responsibility with you. Thank you for joining us again, Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. Check him out also on allocation. It's allocation disorder. Disorder. I said have- order at the beginning. It's al- Well, you know... That doesn't make any sense, Allocation Order. That's a terrible name. Allocation Disorder is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just acknowledges the fact that Sam and I have a real problem in that we pay so much attention to the, the minutia of MLS. But, um, you know, we're, 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 in, we're, we're trying to get each other to, to the recovery point through this podcast. You think that's not interesting, but I can guarantee you people are very interested in it and we convey it. That's why you're here on this program, because the machinations of Major League Soccer and the minutia are compelling and they're getting even more so when you see this league grow as well. Paul, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll chat very soon. Thanks so much for having me, Max. Uh, This is Inside LFC. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe at your leisure. We'll be back next week again.